In Jesus' name we pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to come to gather together in your name. To be assembled under the name that is above all names. If there be a name that is worthy of worship, that is yours alone. If there be a name that commands the affections of our heart and the attention of our minds, that is yours alone. Indeed, Father, what shall we bring? How shall we come into your presence? And the psalmist says, That, Lord, you are my refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and your glory all the day long. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let all those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Open the eyes of my understanding, that I may behold wondrous things from your word. Incline my heart to your word. Unlock my mind to understand. And by understanding, unbridle my will to obey. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And lead me in the way everlasting. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Well, this afternoon we return back to our study in in First Peter, and I'd encourage you to please turn to First Peter chapter one, and we'll read from verse. 13 through 16. First Peter chapter 1 was 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Let's once again bow our hearts. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing unto you this afternoon. Our God and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Up until now, Peter has not brought any exhortation for the past 12 verses. Peter was celebrating God. He was, he was celebrating the goodness of the Lord in election and then he shows the gifts the emphasis of suffering in the life of a believer and the fruit that it bears and the reason for endurance the glory of our salvation this is all that Peter has been talking about in the past 12 verses just by way of recollection and last time, it looks like ages, but last time we dealt with the first imperative that comes from Peter. And the first thing that Peter says is hope fully. In spite of all that you have read or in the light of all that you have read and in spite of your sufferings, hope fully. That's what he said. And now, coming on to verse 14, which actually is the beginning of our text for this afternoon. But that begins, that's in the middle of a passage, so we took from 13. In 14, 15 and 16, the emphasis is on the second commandment from Peter. And the second commandment over here is, be holy. If the first commandment is be hopeful, the second one is be holy. And these needs to go together because you cannot be hopeful unless you are holy. Because without holiness, there is no point in hoping. You will not see God. And you cannot begin to become holy unless you have a hope. What is the reason why I should maintain myself as holy? Why I should include in my life holiness? Why I should allow holiness to dominate my personality is because I have a hope. So without hope, if I were to give you the command, be holy, that would be legalism. And without holiness, if I ask you to keep hoping, that would not be Christianity. Because in what we believe, these two are two sides of the same coin. Therefore, Peter brings this unto us. He says, number one, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Actually, those are prerequisites. That's not the first 
imperative. That's not the first command. Though it looks in the English translation as a command, actually it means that having girded up your mind and having a sober mind, begin to hope fully in the grace of our Lord. Have you wondered when you read these how God-centered these apostles of old were? Everything that they had to say had its reference point in Christ. How many of our conduct has got a reference point in Jesus? How many times during the day does our mind get lifted up to things in heaven? Here Peter says, for the grace that is yet to be revealed. And here comes a call unto holiness. But when we look at a passage such as this, you begin to query the text. I mean, you look at that passage and it says that as obedient children, not conforming yourself to former lust, he who has called you is holy, be holy, because it is written. You begin, you pause over there and you ask a few questions. And the first question you ask is, why is this commandment for holiness given over here? You further ask, what does it mean to be holy? If, if at all I understand holiness, what does it mean to be holy? And the third one, is it possible? Is it possible to be holy? And if it is, what would be the true marks of holiness? That would be a few questions I would query from the text and I would attempt to find answers to these questions. Now let's read that passage again and we will read it from a few different translations and understand what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And I'll read the New Living. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Because at that time you didn't know any better. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And I'll read the NIV as well. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. After reading this, Robert Murray McShane prayed and he said, God, make me as holy as a child of God can be. Make me as holy as a child of God can be. We come to this passage and we begin to ask the reasons for holiness. Why is it that an exhortation of holiness is given over here? What are the reasons? 
Is there a reason to remain holy? People are scared of the word holy. What's the first thing that came to your mind when I spoke the word holy? Long hours of fasting. Waking up at 4 a.m. No jokes. A somber look on my face. Me and my wife sleep in different rooms. So that we maintain holiness. Is that your own thought? Of holiness that came to your mind. But what is the biblical necessity of holiness? Why is there a mandate from heaven that you and I remain holy? The first reason I see from this is that the first phrase that is given over here as obedient children. The first mandate or the first reason why you and I have been called to be holy is because you and I are children of God. Therefore, my genealogy, so-called, has changed. My DNA has changed. Last week we were helped much by the man of God who brought out the message on, if you were paying attention at all, And I trust you were. On the manifestation of the sons of God. Manifestation, which means a a showing forth. If you as a child of God and if I as a child of God were put side to side with a child of Belial, so to speak. Would there be a marked difference? The manifestation. Just ponder over that one phrase. The manifestation. The showing forth. The the unveiling. The revealing of a child of God. We so glibly say, I am a child of God. And then, when we take a checklist of do's and don'ts, We perhaps do all those that a child of the world does. And the promise for this week, amazingly enough, says that we have not received the spirit of the world. We have not. Is that an affirmation? Or is it a doubtful statement? It's an affirmation which says we have not received The spirit of this world, but every time you come across the word but in your Bible, it would mean that there is a contrast. There is a comparison. The first one is the spirit of the world, and now you have received what? The spirit, which is the Holy Spirit from God, so that you may know. So that you may know that the eyes of my understanding may be opened, Paul prays for the Ephesians. That you may know what is the inheritance unto which you have been called. 
And he again prays in the book of Romans. He says that, that I may know the length and the breadth and the depth. These are the things that have been freely given unto the child of God. So know, which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is the root for the word agnostic. A person who challenges the thoughts. That I may know the things that I have been given. And here, do you understand that the first reason for the necessity of holiness is because you have been given a new birth. And the phrase says, as obedient children. Now that's not to pamper us. Like when our children come near us, we say, you're a good boy. Even though he's been very nasty. That's to pamper the child. But here it's not as obedient children. It says, because your nature is of obedience and your birth is that of a child. As obedient children means you're, you are children who consistently obey. Is that true of you, brethren? Means we are building up to Verse 16, which says, be holy. But the build-up begins over here. And the first question we begin to ask is, as obedient children, are you obeying? Is your first nature obedience? Or are we still struggling with certain verses of the Bible? That's what we are getting to. The first necessity is because you and I are children. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says that because of the new birth. Because of the new birth. And Peter wants to emphasize this. He says you are elect and your birth is new. New as in not refurbished. There's a program, I think it's in Discovery or National Geographic, wherein they take a junky car, a car that's all dilapidated, broken up, and they take it into their garage and it comes out. What's the word? New. Is that new? That's refurbished. Right? What do they do? They just put together the car again. With new parts. But this is brand new. Nicodemus wanted to know this. Do you have the hunger and thirst to know? Nicodemus wanted to know. He asked this question. He says, but Rabbi, you're talking about new birth. How? Just how? And he's a Rabbi. He's read the book of Ezekiel which says that I will make you new. I pray God will open our understanding. And here it says that the first reason is because we have a new birth. And last time, the man of God led us to Genesis 1, 26. And we are going back there. Would you read Genesis 1? The creation of man. And I want to show you something that should alter the way that we behave. Verse 26 says, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all cattle and all the earth, and over every creeping thing. Verse 28, God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Now, uh, four mandates have been given over there. Four mandates for the creation of man. These mandates were not given. This is the manifestation of the sons of God. Four mandates have been given. In verse 28 it says that be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. Now have dominion does not mean become a bulldozer and do what you want. Have dominion, the the actual meaning is not that you now begin to dominate. The actual meaning is now you begin to act in responsibility. All these things are under your responsibility. Now you are under my authority as a delegated representative of heaven. Begin to have dominion over all. That's just by way of passing. But there is a fifth mandate which only man could do, and that is given in verse 26. And that was the reason why God created man in his own image, because we are to reflect the fifth mandate, the likeness of God. That's the fifth mandate given unto us. Fruitful, multiply, subdue, have dominion. Actually, you could put them together, then we have the fourth mandate which is to reflect the likeness of God. Family resemblance. Saw that there was this man who could take a childhood photograph, a small passport size photograph of, of mine, for example, when I was a child. And without even seeing me, he could draw my face. This is known as a profiler. And he could draw my father's face. To 85% accuracy. It's a highly paid job. But the point is, do we carry family resemblance? What is the necessity, brethren, to come into God's presence with holiness because God would not recognize us unless we look like Him. I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Jesus never works iniquity. You don't look like my son. Therefore, what is the first mandate for necessity for holiness? That I would reflect and rightly represent God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that, And all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Did you know that you could revoke that right? 
And there are many who are doing it even now. I refuse to look like my father. Think about that. I refuse to look like my father. Let me do a spiritual plastic surgery. I hate how my father looks. In the spirit. He's righteous. As obedient children. Did you, did you look at the word? Obey. There's another, another word that we would not expand this afternoon. But that word is in given in verse 15. It says that. And he who called you. There's another reason. Another necessity, but I've not included that as this. Just clubbed it together. Another reason, another mandate is He has called you. Do you understand the depth, the gravity of your calling? Many are chosen. Few are called. Or rather, it's the other way around, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. Somebody said in the church, many are called, few are frozen. Jokes apart, would you understand? Would you please, if you go to Judges 13, there was the angel of the Lord who appeared unto the wife of Manoah, an unnamed woman. And she was given the mandate of what this child should do. That he should, no razor should come upon his head. He should not drink any wine. Mandate was given unto Zechariah when he said that this is your son and he shall be holy unto the Lord. Do you understand the gravity of your calling and mine? That's another reason, another mandate, another motive, another motivation for you and I to remain holy. Do you value your call? Now what would be the second reason for holiness? The second reason is given in verse 14 itself. It says, That your ignorance has been done away with. I mean this is getting more and more interesting. The first one talks about a positional holiness. Need to follow me now. Don't fall asleep. Don't sleep on me please. Don't even yawn. If I see your eyes watering, I know that you've stifled or yawned. But at the end of this, the Lord would visit you in Jesus' name. This teaching would benefit you in Jesus' name. So the second reason is that your ignorance has been removed. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the what lust? Former lust, as in your ignorance. The second mandate given unto us for holiness is 
The ignorance has been removed. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. And let's look at a list of wicked and wild-natured people that Paul lists out. Listen to Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 onwards. And he speaks to the Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous, number one, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I must be saying, thank God I'm not any of those. Well, of course, this, this passage is limited to sexual sins, but name any sin. Any sin you could put in there and say that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you thought that Paul was reading a list of people outside the church, would you read with me again, verse 11, it says, And such were some of you. I trust you're still smiling. I mean, the gravity of this is that these were a group of people, I would want you to understand, a group of people who had the most hedonistic way of life, and they have now become believers. You and I had a former lifestyle, and if we still drag it into church, I would ask you, lovingly, examine if you are still in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine if you are in the faith. These were former lusts. And, and by the way, do not misunderstand the word lust. The word lust just means strong desire. We often use it in terms of a sexual attraction, but it does not, it does not, it's not limited, to, limited to that. It could be lust for food. Lust for money. Lust for power, which has a word for it known as megalomaniac. So the lust means strong desire. And James uses this, he says that. And then when your lust has given birth to sin. So the emphasis over here is that these were former. There was a way in which I conducted myself. There was a way that I did it. And look at this. The beauty of this is that you and I cannot any longer make excuses. Do I get an amen? The reason I asked for an amen is because you said, yes, I don't have excuses. Your former lust has been what? Put in the past because 
Now you know better. I hope you're linking last night's message. Gnosis. Sober-minded. Peter here talks about the mind being girded up. Why? Because the mind is the battlefield. If you win the battle of the mind, then your heart will follow. It is your mind and my mind that determines whether we follow righteousness or we give in to temptation. It's not your heart. Your heart follows. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it are the issues of life. Why is that? The heart is then the performance center, while the mind is the command center. You have idols in your heart and not in the mind, Ezekiel 15. But I'm drag dressing. Here it means that we have no excuse. My lust was in the past. It is known as a former lust. Do you get that? Are you sitting over here hearing God's word and still thinking about Egypt? The cucumbers, the leeks, and the onions and the garlics. These are former lusts. What's the first mandate? That I'm a child of God. What's the second mandate? I became a child of God and all that was part of me, I put in the past. And now I have absolutely no ignorance. I am not ignorant. I have knowledge and the sins I commit is not because of the sinful nature still in me. Hear me now. The sins I commit is because I want to. And I love them. Jerry Bridges in his classic book, The Pursuit of Holiness, says that we should stop calling, falling into temptation, defeat, and begin calling it disobedience. And every time we successfully navigate a temptation, let's not call it victory, let's give glory to God, it is obedience. Would you be brave enough to call your sins disobedience from today? If you get angry with your husband or wife, or your boss, or the man who cuts you off in the street, who has disturbed the peace within your heart, that's temptation. The anger is not manifested to wrath. It says that the wrath of man does not display the righteousness of God. Be angry and sin not. When you get angry, what do you do? What you do, how you respond shows whether you obey or you disobey. My former lust has passed away. And I now live in the realm of knowing God. A born again believer cannot claim ignorance in two things.
Hear me now very clearly. A born again believer cannot claim ignorance in two things. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians 4. And I begin to read from verse 3 onwards. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. See that? It's coming up again. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 7, For God did not call us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The two things that a born-again believer cannot claim ignorance is, number one, verse 5. We are not like the Gentiles who did not know God. You cannot claim, I don't know this God. And the second one is, you cannot claim ignorance that you do not know the will of God. The will of God is the word of God. Are you waiting for a revelation like John in the island of Patmos? That he would speak to you in audible voice, in thunder and lightning. You would have to wait. But while you wait, would you read the Bible? Because that's the will of God concerning you. What's the will of God concerning me? Next time someone comes to you, a young man, and says, Brother, what's the will of God concerning concerning me? Just tell him. He might be asking you for college, but you might tell him, abstain from sexual lust. That's the will of God. You're telling him from the word of God. My will for you is that you abstain. You know something? Let me tell you this very candidly and with all the love in my heart. The sexual sins are the domain of the devil. I tell you this. Because there are people struggling. To get out of sexual sins. And why is it difficult to get out of this sin alone? Have you wondered? And how many times have you had a reference for sexual sins in the Bible? More than any other sin, what has been referred? Why have you wondered? I just leave that thought with you. Another reason in line with the second reason is that is given in verse 14. It says, do not be conformed. I want you to picture this word conformed as a as dough being pressed into a shape. I mean, our sisters have these molds at home, probably a mold for... Uh, for for cake, a mold for, for making a shape like a teddy bear or a bunny rabbit or something like that. And imagine dough is taken and it's pressed into this mold. What shape do you think would come out? If you're pressing, if you're pressing the, the mold of a rabbit, do you think the face of an elephant is going to come out? I mean, 
logically, sanely speaking. So when the world squeezes you into its mold, what are you going to look like? And when the word squeezes you into the mold of Jesus, when the persuasions of the Bible are that you become more like Christ, what's the will of God concerning you? Sanctification. And when you conform yourself, let that picture come into your mind. J.B. Phillips, Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. I love that translation. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. That means who does the responsibility rest with? You're still answering the first question. What is the necessity of holiness. Do not be conformed. The challenge coming again and again is that young men, young women, we shall be pressed every day. There shall be a son of Belial who will come next to us and say, you are a fool to remain a virgin. How would you respond to that? Peer pressure. We are afraid of standing out. I might look too holy. I mean, our brother over here, I would leave him unnamed. He says that in his office, people stop murmuring when he is in the room. And he's the slightest of man. He's the slightest of men. I mean, he's not got a towering personality like probably Pastor I or someone like that. Where they would keep quiet because they're afraid of him. But here it's because the man carries with him the glory of Christ. When you walk into a room, what's the normal reaction? Is there a shh, shh, shh? Or do they, do they ask you, what do you think is your opinion on so and so? And you say, well, I got an opinion. Do not let the world squeeze you. We will be under pressure. Every day, each day. To do either as the world says, or as the word says. And my third and the most, most strongest reason why I should be holy is because my God is holy. That's my strongest persuasion. I have these two persuasions. The first one says that I am a child of God. The second one says that I am now responsible because my former way of ignorance and lust has moved away. And I am now in the realm of being born again. I am of a different class. I am separated. I am, so to speak, in living in Goshen. I take that as an amen. 
And the third and the strongest persuasion, my brethren, is because my Yahweh is holy and the invitation unto me is be holy. And God would not impose upon us like the taskmasters of Egypt who said that make more bricks but no straw. My God is not so unrighteous to put an, a requirement upon me without giving me the enablement. Unless he knew that I would be holy, he would not ask me to be holy. Because he has now given me the Holy Spirit who lives within me. Therefore my strongest persuasion is that I be holy. Now, I want to pause there and want to define holiness for you. We've not yet defined if you've noticed. We'll quickly define holiness. And the, the, there are, there's one reason, a top reason, a primary definition so-called. And a subsidiary definition. And we are more familiar with the subsidiary definition and the subsidiary definition means purity it means moral perfection but there is a more primary meaning which is separation separation we know that there is there are things that god has called unto himself where god is that ground is known as Holy ground. Where God dwells, that place was called Holy of Holies. And then when he calls people, he says that you are my royal priesthood and a holy nation. Now, holiness does not mean a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is being holy. Now what does that mean? That means that your intrinsic worth, you, know, you need to understand this, your intrinsic worth does not come from what you do or you do not do. Your intrinsic worth comes from the truth that you have been separated unto God. That's your worth, and would you want that worth to be included in the filth of the world? Proverbs chapter 6 says that, let not your fountains be dispersed abroad. He's talking about sexual union with, with, an, with a prostitute, but just think about this. Your fountains, that means your strength, your beauty, your splendor, your worth, let it not be dispersed abroad. Are you worth something unto God? Would you consider yourself the blood-purchased, spirit-filled believer? Do you consider yourself as worth something? And if you do... Would you want that worth to be dragged along the filth? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. The passage.
from verse 1 to 8. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of him saying. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I heard here am I. Send me. We will not take time to develop this passage. We will quickly go into the heart of this passage. Isaiah was as righteous a man in Israel at that point of time. I am persuaded to believe that Isaiah was. A righteous man. Do you know that the sight of the holy is dreadful? Why do you think those people stopped talking when they saw our brother enter that room? Now if that happens when a mere man enters. In this vision, Isaiah who was as holy as the holy person could be. When he entered into the presence of God, he sees the Lord. Let me just pause and ask you, do you have a vision of God? Isaiah had a vision of God. And it's the vision that changed his destiny. The moment you catch a vision, it would change your destiny. Do you have a vision of this holy God we serve? The prelude to our worship today was that we sang a song, Holy, Holy, Holy is our God. Isaiah thought that he had seen it all. Isaiah thought that I've seen so much corruption around, I've seen so much sin around. I am an integral person. But when he saw the Lord, I mean, you and I, please brethren, don't get me wrong. We have set our standards too low. If your standard of holiness is the person sitting next to you, you have missed the boat. If your standard of holiness is the holiest of, of preachers that you see around, even he would agree that you have set your standard low. Now far be it from you that you learn these standards from the world. Far be it from you. I pray that you, none of us, would set our standards 
would, would keep our standard. You know what a standard is. According to the Bible, the standard means a weight, a measure. In the book of Amos, standard means a plumb line. Those of us who know civil engineering know that a plumb line is what decides if the wall is straight. The plumb line that God wants us to measure our holiness is with who? With himself. Do you see the immensity of your calling? That's what I said, it gets better and better. You wouldn't reach to the third necessity of holiness unless you have gone through the first two. Which is that you have to have that assurance, conviction of being separated. I am a child of God. And then you come to the second conviction which says that my former lusts have passed away. I am no longer under ignorance. Every decision I make is a decision of my conscious mind. I will no longer call falling into temptation defeat and a successfully navigating temptation, victory, I would begin to call it obedience and disobedience. And then you come and say that, now my standard is the living God. And Isaiah saw that he was a man of unclean lips. Do you come to God with confession? One of the things that the ex-Catholics in this room would be missing is the confessional. The confessional. You know why? Because there is someone who stands over you. By the way, I took a Catholic baptism. I had two baptisms in one month. I was sprinkled and ducked. One of the greatest heaves of relief in your soul is when a man pronounces unto you and says, your sins are absolved. I mean, how much do people languish even today under guilt? Guilt. Guilt of the sin being there and this man was the was as holy as anyone and he walks into the presence of God and he says, I am undone. I want you to picture this as a man who has come naked. Isaiah walks into the presence of God and he's all bright and shiny in white and he sees the bright whiteness of God and he sees that, oh, I am undone. And the first words that come out of his mouth is a word of curse upon himself. He says that, woe is me. What's your vision of God? Do you pronounce a woe upon yourself when you, when you sin? I trust that you don't. I mean, you don't sin. But he says that, I'm a man of unclean lips. And these supernatural creations, they picked up the, the live coal. And they brought it and touched it on the most tenderest part. Have you allowed your tenderest part to be touched by God? I'm asking you with all the love in my heart. Have you asked God to touch you where it hurts? 
Have you asked the Lord, even as the man who wrestled with Jacob at the brook, Jabok, he knew that he touched a tender part of his thigh and it was out of joint. Have you asked the Lord, Father, break me, that I may remain holy for you? And he said he offered his lips, the tenderest part, the part with which he would speak unto an unholy generation. He himself was righteous and holy, but he offers his lips and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Would you deal with this now? Have you asked God to deal? And the the coal touches his lips. And Isaiah, believe me, is forever changed. Because he carries Every time he opens his mouth, he carries a mark of God's sign and ownership upon him. Let me ask you, do you carry that mark? Do you carry that mark, not just on your soul, do you carry it on your body? In the way you talk? In the way you walk? In the way you dress? In the way you relate? In the things you buy? In the affections you show. In the ambitions that you harbor. Have you, have you borne a mark? Paul says that I bear on my body the mark of Christ Jesus. Let no man do me any more harm. Would you want a transformation such as this? And I tell you, God is so merciful. He did not lower his standard. This is absolutely amazing. When Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, God did not say, okay, I would lower my standard. Neither did God say, remain in your sin. He dealt with it. If you confess, if you confess you have not been holy, The Lord will deal with it. He took a coal. He's atoned for forever. You and I have been atoned for forever. In the book of Numbers, there was this serpent that was lifted up. And and Moses said that everyone who looks unto the serpent, he shall be cured. Have you looked at the cross lately? Have you looked at the cross lately? Have you asked the Lord that the virtue that flows from the cross make me holy? Make me holy. Change my ambitions. Change my plans. Change my standard. Now you might be wondering, do I have the capacity to be holy? Let me lead you to a particular verse which says in in, in Titus chapter 2, you could take down the reference, Titus chapter 2, it says that, and the power of God. That gives us the strength to say no to every ungodliness has appeared unto us. I mean you and I have the power to say no. Whether you and I choose to say it, it's a different story. But you and I cannot run from the truth that we have been given the power to say no to ungodliness. Many a times we've chosen not to say, but would you begin to say no? 
When you come to a passage such as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Isaiah chapter 6, you cannot walk away from that passage pleading ignorance. You have to deal with it. Jacob had to deal with Esau before he could move to Bethel. Let's pray. Shall we thank the Lord for the lesson he has given us today? Our God is a good God. He's a God who's so mindful of us. Our God is concerned about you and me. And today he gave us a lesson in holiness. Were you one of those who felt the live coal touching you? Or are you one of those who thought and still thinks that this is not for me? I am as holy as I need to be. This is for my neighbor. I know what my neighbor has done. This is not about me. Before we spend a few moments in prayer, will you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? And reading from verse 9. It says, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. If you have felt disciplined today, as I have, be thankful. Be thankful because it is God who has disciplined you and me. It is God who is telling us. It's God who says, partake of my holiness. I want you to be like me. That's the way I created you. Because if we don't want to respond to him, let's turn on to... Th- 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we read verse 7 For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness and go on to verse 8 Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit Whether you live a holy life, whether you want to live in holiness, the choice is yours. The choice is mine. But you need to consider, do you manifest yourself as a child of God or as a child of this world? Have you been born again to live a truly new life? Or did you assume that you were born again to return to your old life? 
you have been reminded today that you are created in the image of God. Look at yourself. Are you in the likeness of God? Into which mold are you letting yourself be squeezed into? The choice is yours and mine. Whose standards do you aspire to this afternoon? Just ask yourself those questions. Talk to God. Thank Him that He has spoken. Father God, we just want to thank and praise you, Lord Father. Father God, once again we stand in awe, Lord Father, that you are so concerned about us, Lord. That you are teaching us time and again. And today you have taught us what you want us to be like. Father God, you have said that you are holy and that's what you want to see in each one of us. Father God, I thank you today, Lord, that you have chosen to use your servant to speak these words, Lord. That we may look at ourselves and turn to you and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do about myself, but I just surrender myself to you, Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Make me that kind of child that you want me to be. Make me in your own image today. And take away all that masks that we have put on. All the the, the, the false looks that we have had, all the makeup that we have done, which has brought us nothing. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, we give glory to you, Lord. And we pray, Lord Father, that you will continue to work in us. You will continue to minister unto us, Lord. And you will continue to speak to us, Lord. Help us to seek after you, Lord Father, and to seek after your ways. Holiness is what you desire, Lord. We thank you, Lord Father, for the way you used your servant, Lord Father, to bring this word across to us. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to minister unto him, Lord, that you will continue to anoint him, and you will give him words of wisdom, Lord Father, that he will be able to continue to encourage us and teach us and build us with words that you put into his mouth, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your anointing will continue to flow into him and through him, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We pray for his family. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with them, bless them, and watch over them, Lord Father. We give glory to you, Lord. Father God, we thank you for every one of us who's gathered here this day, Lord. We pray for those who couldn't be here, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord, that the next time we come together, as a fellowship of your people, Lord Father, we will have many more people who couldn't be here today, Lord. Father God, to each one of us who is here, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us in the coming hours, Lord. You will guide us, you will lead us. And we commit the week ahead into your hands, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will guard our lips, you will guard our thoughts, Lord, and you will guide our steps, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we give all glory to you. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Shall we share the grace, please? <clears throat> May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, now and forevermore.
Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.